Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey, hi there. Hey. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sit down. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. I am Derek. This is another spectacular journey into the realm of incredibly fascinating people. Before we get started, I want to throw a huge shout out to all of Duval Nation for the emails, tweets, texts, messages wishing me well as I recover from a very nasty virus. As you can hear in my voice, I am considerably better, but not totally all the way there. So I will continue to take it easy as I get over the finish line to feeling 100% better. Lots going on in the world of the Duvals. We have a new Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies coming out this week, which I am super excited about, but also... Drum roll. It's my birthday. <laughs> That's right, Duvall Nation. Derek Duvall is tiptoeing one step closer to the grave. I don't feel my current age, but I am glad to be here still with everyone. It's not a milestone birthday, but in my world, every birthday feels like a milestone. So, welcome to episode 55. You are all in for a real treat here, folks. We have on the show actress, comedian, writer, activist, the great Alison Armgrim is here with us. She is going to be talking about her activism in the AIDS community, her stand-up one-woman show, and of course, her role as the infamous antagonist Nellie Olson on the legendary hit show Little House on the Prairie. Plus, we're going to be talking about her book, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated. We have lots to get into, but I do have to be the silly disclaimer. This show contains what some of you would call salty language. So wear headphones, please, if you're at work. Let's not waste any time in this get on out here. Duval Nation, rise to your feet and give a huge cyber welcome to our wonderful guest, an absolutely wonderful human being, the amazing Alison Arngram. Allison, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. I start my interviews off with the same question, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? Well, I have been very, 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 very lucky. My husband was able to keep his job. He actually was considered an essential worker because they're, they're working down at uh, LAX building the, the people mover. So that's infrastructure. So that was nice. And 
initially I was quite concerned because all of my jobs involve going out of town or working with people, theater, personal appearances, film, uh, autograph shows, stand-up, and everything, of course, was canceled. I had a bunch of things I was supposed to do. I had a show in New York. And I was quite upset, and I thought, well, what am I going to do all day here? And then things started to happen online. I got a call, well, the, a lot of the people we booked into this nightclub, since the nightclub is now closed and everything is shut down in New York, we're doing a thing online on stage at .com. Do you want to try these pay-per-view comedy shows? Okay. And then I started reading the Little House books. I said, I'm going to go back and read. I said, I'm home all day. I'll go back and reread the Little House books, the original Laura Ingalls books, and like, read them in order and see if and then I thought, well, everybody else is stuck at home. I'll go read them on Facebook. <laughs> I started reading the Little House books every day on Facebook, and people went mad. They loved it. Now we have the readings. I now have cooking videos. <laughs> I wound up having this whole online life. And I'd already you know, been reasonably active on Facebook. I wound up having this whole online community that we formed and doing these live readings and videos and all of these things and then comedy shows and and cameo and all that that my whole career sort of got moved to the internet and it was amazing I did not suffer from lack of anything to do all of a sudden and then as we were able to slowly go back to some places I thought well okay this one's live this one's in the house this show's live this one's in the house um, we even did autograph shows online They'd say people would tune in, have the cast meet and greet, and then purchase their autographed pictures online. So it's amazing how much you actually can do without leaving the house. I was very surprised. And now we're like sort of going back, but I'm still doing the online stuff. It's opened up actually a whole new venue and a whole new group of fans and people. So in my case, things went really well. I was extraordinarily lucky. It truly is remarkable how people have been able to adapt in terms of their creativity. That as awful and horrible as everything's been, I've also seen these <laughs> incredible bursts of creativity where mm -hmm. necessity is the mother of invention. And often in horrible times, you have to think of something clever. The people I know, a lot of comedians, singers, various artists, actors, got really creative really quickly because they said, okay, well, we have to do something. We can't do whatever we were doing. We have to keep everybody safe. What the heck do I do? And people came up with just amazing stuff. And I went to things. People were doing outdoor shows. We, there was a thing, the Stranger Things Experience. <laughs> and the TV show Stranger Things, which I love. You got in your car, you bought a ticket, and you drove. It was a whole drive-through show. It was like a drive-through theater. And it was like, oh, you're in the mall. And you could, you, with your phone, you could buy candy or snacks, and someone in a mask would hand it through your window, and you could buy a per And you drove through what was really a parking garage, but they did lighting and effects and all these actors. And they put on an entire show on the roof of this parking garage. It was like a Broadway show. And you watched it from your car, and it was genius. And I thought, well, if this is what we have to do, this is what we have to do. But this is really clever. So it is my understanding that you are originally from New York. Tell us about growing up there. That's right. I was born in Queens, lived in New York till I mean, was very little. Then we came out to California. I was very, very little and lived at the Chateau Marmont. So ah. born in New York, raised in L.A., yes. Do you still think of yourself as a New Yorker or are you more of a Cali girl? I guess I 
do because as soon as I went back even to visit, I was like, oh, this is great. And then well, I, you know, I've been doing stand-up for years, but I launched my one-woman show, the thing I do now, in New York. I did it at mm-hmm. Club Fez, and that was the first time I did uh, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, and it was a smash. And uh, I found the New York audiences really understood what I was doing and just connected there. And so I, I, I have a Mother's Day show every year in New York, unless, of course, we're locked in the house and it's online. Uh, we did, and the New Yorkers all tune in. And then I managed to get back to New York in September and played a marvelous club called Caveat. And I did the Rochester Fringe Festival. And currently I'm scheduled to go back for Mother's Day weekend next year for the re- reopening of the Lori Beachman Theater. Now, you've been acting since a very, very early age. Do you remember those early roles? My, my Screen Actors Guild card says member since 1967. Mm-hmm. I was five. I started working. I was doing commercials and episodic TV, Hunt's Ketchup, that sort of thing. And there was a TV show in the 60s called Juvenile Jury. It was sort of like kids say the darndest things. Everybody had to rip off kids say the darndest things and have their own smart Alec children being interviewed. So Juvenile Jury was the other network show. And I was on that all the time. I was like a regular panelist on this mm-hmm. child panelist show. And so I did all these TV things. And then I finally, at 10, I got thrown out the anchor, uh, went to Florida and did a feature film with Richard Egan and Dina Merrill. It was kind of a cheap version. Remember the movie Houseboat with Sophia Loren? Cheesy, low-budget version wannabe of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not that good a movie. But I had a really good time making it. And the French, I think they think it's an art film in France. So it's out on DVD with French subtitles if you want it. Interesting. Now, you broke into mainstream with your role on the mega hit show Little House on the Prairie. What do you remember from finding out you were cast on the show? Well, that was so crazy because that, you know, people talk about making a comeback. Little House was actually my comeback role. Uh, after I did throw out the anchor, I wasn't working that much. I'd been doing a lot of episodic TV and commercials. And my father sat me down and said, well, I have to break it to you. You might not work again. You're not working a lot. 11. And he said, you might not work till after 18 or maybe not at all. And try to break to me. Many child actors, this happens that my career might be over. And I was, I was 11. Mm. And a few months later, I got Little House in the Prairie. So that technically was the comeback role. Well, I had read for the parts of Laura and for the parts of Mary and talked to them when they said, first even said, we're making a show about these books. And then when I didn't get that, I I put it out of my mind. I went, oh, they made the pilot. That's nice. So when they called me back, I thought, well, how can it be for Little House in the Prairie? I mean, how many people on this thing are there? Mm -hmm. And I did not know what an Ellie Olsen even was. I had not read the books. So I get there. And I'm reading these signs, and I turn to my father and said, this girl is awful. I mean, she's she's a bitch. My father said, what are you talking about? And while I read it for him, he starts laughing hysterically. He says, don't change a thing. You read it exactly like that. And I did. And it's Michael Landon, the other producers, and you never saw three men laugh so hard in your life. <laughs> and that was it. They said, can you do it again? And I said, what do you want me to change? He said, nothing. Just the thing about the house again. They were dying. I was hired on the spot. Which is saying an incredible lot as Nellie Olson is consistently credited as one of television's all-time greatest antagonists. I say that, how does it make you feel? And did you feel you got to mold the character the way that you wanted to? Well, I mean, I did. It was, I can say it was marvelous because if you look at the books, Nellie certainly, I mean, she has quite a bit to do in On the Banks of Plum Creek and she comes back later in Little Town on the Prairie. 
and you know she didn't really it's like Laura made that up she wound up blending three different people into Nellie because her readers said what happened and can we have more Nellie so she's like oh, I got to put her back in the story um so she was always an attractive character to people, but she's not as big a feature in the books as she was on the show. But I think Michael Landon and the writers quite rightly said, we're making a series. Here is this perfect character, this antagonist, mm -hmm. this enemy for Laura to fight. Well, we'll, we'll play this up. We got to make the Olsons major characters because this is a great bit. We're going to, you know, and, and Mrs. Olsen is hardly in the books at all. And as we saw, Catherine McGregor took the role of Mrs. Olsen and blew it out of the water, and it mm -hmm. became a major character. So we were given a lot of freedom on Little House to take things and run with them. And as I was on the show, I noticed, like, we would have – I'd have a scene, and I would do it in a sort of like – go, well, I'll see you that and raise you this. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks later, I'd get a script, and it was like, well, all right, if she's willing to do that, let's see if she'll do this. And then like, – so it was sort of like a war of escalation. <laughs> Until eventually I'm like faking paralysis and going down a hill in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> the show ran nine seasons, which is an incredible run. Yeah, what right? Do you, what do you remember when you found out the show was going to be coming to an end? Well, and I didn't. That was a crazy thing because you're seven. You know, back then people had seven-year contracts. And I mean, I feel like I'm Mary Pickford, like I'm 100 years old. Back in the day when we had seven-year contracts, nobody has seven-year contracts anymore. But then it was quite normal to sign a seven-year contract. And that's what I had. So when you're, you, you know, you got a little raise each year if your agent was any good, and maybe you'd renegotiate your three or something. But year seven, that was it. That was the major renegotiate. Do you come back or don't you? And they make an offer. Well, I'd been there for seven years. I was now 19 and had been on the show since I was in junior high. So it was kind of a lot. And they were, if I had known it was only going to go two more years, maybe, maybe I'd have done it. But they wanted me to sign for four more years. Ooh. That's a lot when you're 19 and you've been doing this since you're 12. And was, I don't know. And I was like, well, is there a lot more money? No, not really. No. Is there a raise? No, no. Okay, I do more episodes? No. Less episodes? No. So they didn't really want to negotiate or make any sort of special. My agent was sort of disgruntled, going, they're not really making much of an offer. Do you really want to do this? And by then, I was kind of like, maybe I could do something else. So I, I wasn't exactly that upset. I was like, well, maybe I could have a life. So I left and I went and did theater and did stand up. And then shockingly, they called me back for an episode in the ninth season the last year because they they had the evil Nancy, my adopted sister. They adopted this girl, Nancy, who was even worse than Nellie, and said, well, let's have Allison back and have them face up. And they paid me an enormous amount of money just to come back for the week. And I did, and that doesn't happen. Normally in Hollywood, you leave a show, you've left the show. They didn't call you and say, would you like to come back and visit? That's yeah. not a normal thing. But a Little House, that was the kind of thing we did. Victor French left the show, and then he came back. People come back. With the Little House, you could come back. So I came back, but it was Maybe such a long a time, time, seven years. Well, I was 21 and it had been a third of my lifetime. I was like, what? who does this? So it was, it was a long time. I didn't know it was going to end. And if, in fact, all the people who stayed on till nine, season nine, they didn't know it was going to end. It was sudden. It was like, oh, we're not picked up. This is it. We're done. Mm -hmm. And they had a rap party and it was quite the shock. And I had no idea if it was going to end in year eight, nine, or it was going to go on for, you know, 14, 15 years. So your autobiography was well received. Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated. 
which right off the bat, that is an incredible title. My, my one-woman show was already called Confessions of Prairie Bitch, and I said, yep, that's we're going with that for the book. <laughs> and they said, well, we like to do these titles, you know, where it's an, a, a, a Confessions of Prairie Bitch, how I, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Something survived on it. I went, oh, and I thought, I said, give me a minute to think about it. And I came back and said, how I survived and learned to love being hated. And they said, perfect. And yes, I was thinking about Dr. Strangelove, how I stopped worrying and learned to love the bomb. It is absolutely an homage to that. <laughs> you say you were doing your one-woman show right now. Is that where the inspiration came from, to write it all down? Yeah, I had been writing little bits and pieces over the years. And then when I started doing the one-woman show, because I'd done the stand-up, but then I, was, I decided to do all true stories, all just true stories for my life. And when I did the all true stories, people loved it. They loved it better than anything else I'd done. So I went, well, to heck with that. I'm going to do this. But as I started to tell these stories, you know, I tell some I would tell in sort of a short form because it's stand up and you have people there. So I thought, well, I should write down the long version of these stories and, and the other stories. And I started to write them down. And a literary agent, the marvelous Kent D. Wolf of New York, saw my show. And contacted me and said, is there a book to go with this? And I said, there could be. And we start talking. He says, well, do you have four chapters? And I said, well, you know, that's a funny thing. I do. And so the next thing you know, we're meeting. And then he's meeting with publishers. And before I know it, I'm with HarperCollins. It was mind-blowing. Nice. Okay, let's take a quick break to acknowledge a few friends of the show. This gives you a chance to refresh that drink and do some nice, big, deep stretches. Just hang around, and we will be right back. Coming every week on podcast platforms everywhere, a podcast like no other. Listen to John as he talks about comic books, video games, and anything he wants. Every week is a new topic. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll subscribe. Follow The Basement Reload on all social media platforms at Basement Reload and smash that subscribe button. It's time for a reload. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if time did stand still? The flowers and the plants would never develop to their full potential. And neither would you. Time is important to everyone, plants, animals, and you. As you grow, you learn. And as you learn, you change and develop. And that development is the thing that determines your future. So time is our friend. If we use our time wisely, we'll enjoy all the good things that life has to offer. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. We still have much to cover. So let's get right back into our conversation with the legend herself, 
Alison Arngrim. So I want to ask a question that in a way highlights something that I am very passionate about. So AIDS activism and the quest for the cure is a passion we obviously both share. How did you get into that particular activism? People who watch the show, you remember Percival, Nellie married Percival and got nice. Um, the actor played Percival, Steve Tracy, wonderful person. We hit it off right away, and we remained friends after the show, and he got sick in the early 80s, and this is when nobody was talking about having AIDS. We had just gone from calling it grid. I mean, yeah. they didn't know what was happening, and people were finally saying, you know, that people can't. Rock Hudson had just died, and he didn't really want to tell anyone. It was a deathbed confession. Liberace was still claiming he did not have AIDS, that he was on the watermelon diet. People who are public figures did not go public with their diagnosis at this time. And here he was in 1986, and he went public with his AIDS diagnosis. And here was a person who'd been in Little House in the Prairie going on television and in magazine interviews and saying, yes, I have AIDS. So this was really kind of a big deal at the time. This is way before Magic Johnson or any of that. People just did not go public. And he went very public. And of course, we were all devastated. And he called us all and told us his friends. We were all very upset because at the time, I mean, there wasn't even AZT. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. There were experimental drugs. It wasn't like now where there's, they give you antivirals or cocktail. Nothing. So you really, when you were diagnosed with AIDS, you were given really nine months was considered a reasonable amount of time that you might live. And that was a step up. It had been nine weeks. So he's given like nine months till he lived about two years past his diagnosis, which was considered long term survival at mm-hmm. that time. So he died at 32 and a half, 33 years old uh, on Thanksgiving of 1986. And this was devastating. To me, I was 23 years old, and here was this person, my friend, dying. and I lost so many friends, but this was just really a blow. And I had started volunteering because I said, what do you need? And he was very lucky. His mother stood by him. His mom and his sister flew out from Florida, made sure he was okay and took care of him. He had resources. He'd, you know, he'd worked. He'd had some money. He had friends. He had health insurance. Most people did not. And most people in this position, their family were not jumping on a plane to come help. And their families abandoned them and rejected them. They didn't have any money. They had no health insurance. They did not have a circle of friends who were helping out. So I volunteered at AIDS Project Los Angeles. And so I could help the people who did not have the resources that Steve Tracy did. And it was incredible. I wound up on the hotline. I took the training and I learned so much. Also, my phone was ringing off the hook because everybody knew and they were asking me because I was married to on TV. Oh my God, do you have AIDS now? And I'm like, you know, that's really not how that works. Right. <laughs> and it was so, people were so terrified then. They thought they thought we're going to get it off doorknobs. So I educated myself so I could go out and educate others. And I did speaking engagements and I worked on the hotline. And even after he died, of course, I continued to do that. And I continued to raise money sometimes for smaller organizations that don't have the resources that like mm-hmm. AIDS Healthcare Foundation or AIDS Project Los Angeles have. Uh, in fact, uh, Radiant Health Centers, Compassionate Care in Orange County, who used to be Orange County AIDS Services, they're having a huge fundraiser on January 29th, and oh I'm the honoree. So I'm going to be helping Radiant uh, Health Centers in uh, Orange County raise money in January. Wow. We had two gentlemen on the show a year or two ago now that created a documentary called After 82 about the early days of the AIDS crisis in the UK. And one of the guests on that documentary was the second diagnosed man in the UK. He is still alive today, which no one can explain. 
uh, you should definitely check it out. Oh, you can. Well, I'm friends with Steve Peters, who was given a few weeks mm-hmm. to live back in 1980. Oh gosh, three. I think it yeah. was still Ark or you know Grid, and he's still alive. Yeah. He's in. Um, you're familiar with the whole movie thing about Eyes of Tammy Faye, right? I know about the film, but I have not seen it yet. Well. It's um, the whole you know story of the whole Tammy Faye, uh, the the bakers and the whole crash and burn. It's like a rock opera. They you wanted to be rich and famous, and then everything goes really wrong. But poor Tammy Faye tried to do the right thing. And back in the eighties, she had the real Tammy Faye had the real Steve Peters on, and it was shocking then for a religious program to have on an openly gay man with AIDS. So she had this guy on her show, and she talked to him because he he was also a reverend with the the MCC Church. It, this interview became iconic. They did a documentary called Eyes of Tammy Faye, and it's in that. And now Jessica Chastain has made the film Eyes of Tammy Faye. The guy is the te- guy who's on Stranger Things. Uh, Randy Haven's the teacher on Stranger Things. Plays the Reverend Steve Peters in it. Mm. And, of course, the Reverend Steve is still alive and wound up going right. to the premiere. So, yeah, he's one of the longest-term survivors uh, in, in the U.S. from back in the day. And he, there was a small group of people who were still alive, and one by one, they've, they've all passed away except him. It's, and back then, he was on all the experimental drugs. He said it was just awful, some of the stuff he went through. It's sad to think that with COVID today, there was a mad dash to find a working vaccine. If they had put this much effort in the early 80s to cure HIV, who knows where we would be with the story of the AIDS epidemic. Well, and it's so crazy because most of the things that they're using to now to fight COVID are all out of AIDS. Exactly. Research. All the good COVID researchers are AIDS researchers. My yeah. Otto Yang at UCLA is an AIDS researcher. Now he's in COVID. So all of the stuff they're using to treat COVID and to try to find the, the, the vaccine for COVID and the treatments for COVID all came out of AIDS research. Mm-hmm. And now the stuff they're learning about COVID, they're applying to the AIDS research mm-hmm. and they're talking about now we may get that vaccine for HIV we're trying to do. All right, move it on. Can you tell us about the musical group, the Nelly Olsons, and how you got involved with them? Very good friends with them, indeed, and have performed with them. I found out about them in, oh gosh, I guess like 93, a guy who had interviewed me for a magazine called me from New York and said, I just had to call you because I just found this flyer for something called the Nelly Olsons, (laughs) and I believe the flyer said... (laughs) Sugar and spice and everything nice, but don't fuck with the bitch. Um, and he said, it's got your picture on it, but it's this comedy group. And I was dying of laughter. And he's telling me about the thing. And I'm on the floor going, this sounds right. The Nelly Olsons are kidding me. This is great. So I said, well, where are they playing? So I'm calling people in New York. I'm like tracking them down. And they said, oh, they're at this theater, blah, blah, blah. I call the theater. I said, are the Nelly Olsons like there? And they said, oh, they just came off stage. They're just in the dressing room now. I said, great, I would like to speak to them or someone representing them. And the woman says, who may I say is calling? And I said, Alison Arngram. I mean, you could hear her drop the phone. It was like the end of Silence of the Lambs. The lady drops the phone and runs down the hall. I was like, ugh! <laughs> there was a long time before they got the nerve up to come to the phone. And Nora Burns, who's hilarious, comes to the phone finally and says, hi. <laughs> okay, who are you and what are you doing and why are you doing this? And she said, we worship you. I said, good answer. Okay. And we talked. Well, we hit it off and they came out to LA and I saw their show and they were hilarious. I love them, love them, love them. And then they did a show where I came and I performed with them. Uh, John Cantwell, marvelous actor and comedian. He was dressed up as Nellie Olsen in the sketch. And then I come out and said, who the hell said you could be me and beat him up and chase him off stage. 
I wound up performing with him. We did a benefit for AIDS Project Los Angeles where I brought them in, and I was so happy because I was able to say, and now Nellie Olson presents the Nellie Olsons. Not only do I adore the Nellie Olsons, there is a band. There's two bands, actually, in Europe. One's called Nellie Olson, and the other's the Nellie Olsons, rock bands in Europe. And then there's another band, Marcel and his orchestra, Marcel et son orchestre, and they have a song, The Family Ingalls, and the chorus is all about Nellie Olson. <laughs> Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, right? Right. I figure I'm doing something right. I must have done something right when I was playing that part that it hit such a nerve that people are naming their comedy groups and rock bands after it. So as we begin to wind down this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Oh, gosh, I'm everywhere. Now, of course, I'm on Facebook, Allison Arngram, really easy to find. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I am on everything. It's like usually at Arngram or Allison Arngram. I am just got on TikTok. Haven't done enough on there. Uh, I'm kind of on everything. There is a website called bonnetheads.com. The hardcore prairie fans, we call them bonnet heads, these little bonnet heads, uh, bonnetheads.com. And we have a Nelly newsletter. If they want, they can check out, I think go on bonnetheads.com and there's a, the emails there, or it's loose gravel prod, L O O S E, loose gravel productions, loose gravel prod at AOL.com. You send an email and say, I want the Nelly newsletter. And then every month you find out where I am. So we have a newsletter, we have a website, I'm on every form of social media in existence. So by all means, track me down and say hi. And I'm usually re Dean Butler, played El Manzo, is reading the Little House books this week. But oh. uh, I usually read every day, and then I have the stand-up shows online and then the live stuff. I say this from the bottom of my heart, never slow down. It sounds like you're just absolutely killing it. Oh, YouTube. Go on YouTube. Who's going to do the cooking with Alison Arngram? I have a cooking video thing I'm doing now. <laughs> so I hate to end this as I'm having such a fun time listening to you, but unfortunately I must. I end my interviews with my all-time favorite question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would want to say to the people of Earth? And they probably all are, because, I mean, this is going out there, and wow. then it'll probably get shared on Facebook, so probably everyone will listen to it, because it's me. So, <laughs> <laughs> what we Let's see. I was just telling someone today, as my father used to say, you don't know. You could be hit by a bus tomorrow. And it's true. You have no idea what's going to happen next. We did, did we know when we were all sitting around in 2019 making plans for next year, did we know we were all going to be sitting locked in our houses? No, we did not. We did not know. You don't know what's going to happen next, how the world's going to change, how your life's going to change, both for good or bad. I mean, if someone had told me when I, before I went to France, if someone told me you're going to wind up doing a stand-up show in France, I'm like, what? you don't know how things are going to change in your life and in the world. And you don't know. You know, as they say, tomorrow is, is not guaranteed. So you need to enjoy what you're doing now in your life as much as you can while you can. You need to not take things for granted. You need to appreciate the things you have and what's happening now as much as possible. And, and you know, do your best to try to make the world a better place because you could be hit by a bus tomorrow. I will definitely be looking both ways when I cross the street tomorrow. That's for damn sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, I know you're on a super tight schedule. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on the show. This has been an absolute thrill and an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks. Okay, Duval Nation, we have come to the end of our conversation with Allison. What a legend. I am so happy we were able to make that appearance happen. You can find her book, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated on Amazon, 
Barnes and Nobles, or wherever books are sold. We are not done yet. I have a special surprise for the podcasters out there. As anyone with even a passing history of knowledge for the Derek Duvall Show knows, we are very active in the podcasting community, and we have always been appreciative of everyone who has taken the time to celebrate our show. Well, one of our friends, John of the show The Basement Surge, is moving on and creating his new show, and I could not think of a better way for him to christen his program than with a quick appearance here to plug it. So Duval Nation, welcome to the show all the way from the Big Apple, New York City, John, from the new program, The Basement Reload. John, my friend, welcome to the show. It's been a while. Hi, thank you very much for having me on today. No problem. So... Obviously, I like to, you know, I'm, I've always been a fan of, of your work. I won't have you. There's no secret. I'm, I'm a huge fan of The Basement. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, The Basement now is evolving. Is that it what is. you're, is that, I'm understanding that? Yes. Tell us what's going on. I, tell us about this new project that you're excited about. <laughs> well, uh, you know me previously from The Basement Surge. Since then, like, uh, The Basement Surge has been going on for almost three years now. And, um, yeah, we haven't been dropping episodes as often as I would like, mainly because my schedule conflicts with Frank's schedule, mm-hmm. and uh, and we really don't have the time to be consistent about dropping episodes. So what I decided to do is that instead of you know hanging out and waiting for the next episode to surge, I wanted to keep going in the podcasting game. I I, I created a new show called The Basement Reload. The Basement Reload, nice, nice. So what exactly are we going to be expecting? Is it going to be the same hijinks and mirth of the of the prior show, or are we going to, what are we going to be doing here? What are we going to be talking about? Excite, uh, sell it to me. Okay, all right. Well, the basement reload is basically anything that I want to talk about. Okay, um, oh Frank, Frank on the basement surge, he had certain topics that he didn't want to talk about that he didn't really know much about. You know, because he and I sometimes we don't have the same interests. So that's what Basement Reload's all about. Reload is about all of my interests that I like to do, like to talk about, uh, topics that I find interesting, and I just do, I just do episodes on them. And every week I'm having a new, a different co-host who is specifically geared towards the topic for that week. All right, all right, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to invite myself on your show, but I you're sh- more I than sh- welcome to come on. I better say, I sure hope that I get to co-host eventually sometime. Absolutely, nice. <laughs> Uh, it launches May 4th, next yeah. uh, Wednesday, I believe. Nice. So May 4th, uh, it launches. And uh, I, I've already got three episodes in the pipe ready to go. Really? So, yeah. So everything's going to drop all at once. Really? What kind of, uh, what, I mean, can you give us a teaser what the first episode is going to be about? Well, the first episode is just basically me introducing myself, what I'm doing there, you know, what I'm going to be talking about. Basically, uh, hi, how do you do to the audience? And then, then the next two episodes I have, uh, I just wrapped up an episode last night. I recorded an episode with my good friend, Jeff Hunt, who uh, we did uh, the Batman review. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other one that, w- that I'm dropping is one I did with my friend, Brendan, who has another podcast of his. And um, that's all about being a Border Patrol agent because he mm. used to be a Border Patrol agent turned podcaster. So That's unique. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. Day, that's a, that's a, that's a, what do you do during the day? Oh, well, I podcast at night. Ooh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, I would, listen, I would listen to that. So, but no, it's it's good. It's good that you're you're branching out. You're doing your thing. Like I said, I mean, I've I've been a fan of the surge for as long as I've been in the game, and that's I've been gone. I've been going on now three four years doing this. Yeah, you know, in <laughs> some you. form in some form or another. And like I said, I've always been very gracious to you and Frank for you know helping me out, bringing me on the surge, and some mm-hmm. of the I believe it or not, some of my best memories of doing the Derek Duvall show involve being on the surge so Aww. i'm very excited to see very what you come you. up with oh no pleasure i'm very excited to see what you come up with i, I know you're a very talented person and i love uh are you going to be doing a youtube show as well uh no actually what i'm doing is that the the, the show is being recorded on video uh, mm-hmm. as a vodcast but the video is going to be made full episodes available on patreon ah yeah, so you I, can watch it on Patreon, but you can listen to it for free. Oh, God. Looking at your face, I think I will take the free version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Derek, I know I need to shave. I know that, but damn. <laughs> no, it's all right. Trust me. I have a face for radio myself. So anyway, no, it's it's good. I'm, I'm excited to hear you uh, hear about your project. You sound very passionate about it, very thrilled. And like I said, I know, like I said, you know, the surge had to come to an end, but I'm very, very, very happy that you're continuing it on. With a, what seems to be a very good passion project for you. Yes, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I just, I, I like it's been, I want to say, two months since I did an episode of Surge. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, I'm jonesing. Like, I got to get back in the game, you know? Yeah. Obviously, I'm looking at you right now. You know, your camera is on. Mine, mine is always off, but yours is on. You have yeah. a really cool area where you uh, record at. That's a really cool studio. Yeah, thanks. It's part podcasting studio here in the front uh, mm-hmm. that you can't see, um, but behind me is actually my oil painting studio. So nice. I'm an oil painter. So nice. Now I have one question from the fans. I gotta ask it real fast. What yeah. equipment are you using? Apparently, that's a new question a lot of people want to ask. You took <laughs> your mic. Uh, the microphone I'm using the Shure SM7B uh, attached to the uh, the blue. Uh, boom arm and that goes right into the roadcaster pro nice very good yeah. i you'd be amazed a lot of people ask me that now they're like ask them what, yeah. what equipment they're using i'm like all right fine i'll put it on the list so yeah yeah very cool <laughs> all right john on that note all the best to you my friend honestly i'm i'm so happy for you and, and like i said you're you're a dear friend of the show so uh awesome. congratulations and i can't wait to see what you put out hey man thank you very much for having me and just like that folks we come to the end of episode 55 of the Derek Duvall Show. I know, right? I want to thank Allison for taking the time out of her incredibly busy schedule to come on and speak with us. What I mean, again, what a legend. We still have so much good stuff coming in the next few weeks with some schedule releases that are going to blow your mind. I guarantee it. But I want to say one thing here. Very, gotta be serious for a minute, okay? Before we sign off, I want to take a moment to acknowledge um, a huge loss. On April 17th, we lost the music and guitar legend Rick Turner to heart failure. Um, When I first started the show, I had a mini list of folks that I wanted to have on as a guest in the first year. And near the top of that list was Rick Turner. When he agreed to come on, we had, and anybody who knows what was going on at the time, including Mrs. Duvall and Chris from the Chris and Christine show, they'll know all about this. Uh, When he agreed to come on, we had a hilarious time trying to teach him how to use Google Chrome 
and the back and forth of trying to get Rick on the show uh, in, a, in an actual physical sense uh, remains one of my favorite production memories. But Rick, what a legend. He was incredibly gracious, and he spoke for nearly three hours on every subject we could think of. And about two weeks or so after the episode released, I sent an email to Rick thanking him again and telling him about the reception the episode got, and he sent back a single line. I feel we just scratched the surface. So I had promised him that we would have him back on, but as of now, it looks like we'll never get that chance. Um, Man, if you want to find the episode, go to your favorite streaming platform, look for episode number eight. So uh, on behalf of myself, um, rest in power, Rick Turner. Your influence and legacy will forever be a part of the beating heart of rock and roll. There's no, no question about that. So uh, on behalf of the entire crew here at the Derek Duvall Show, I say to each and every one of you, be safe, be well, and get your vaccine and or your booster if you can. No star, God bless, and see you very soon. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.